0: What was remarkable about the 2012 presidential election? And how will the demography of the electorate change by the next one? From the Chicago Policy Review at the University of Chicago, this is Chicago Policy Radio. I'm your host, Claire Hanlon. Today we're talking with Jeff Guerin, the president of survey research firm Peter D. Hart Research Associate and head pollster of Priorities USA. Over the course of his career, Jeff has conducted policy research in education and health and directed the campaign strategies for many prominent politicians. Thanks so much for being with us today. Sure. So what was remarkable about this presidential election and the circumstances under which President Obama was re-elected?
1: Well, it is in the first instance it is remarkable that President Obama was reelected under these uh, economic conditions. In some ways, it's unprecedented, uh, and the fact that he was reelected under these circumstances, I think, speaks both to the effectiveness of his campaign uh, and his own candidacy, and also of the weakness of Mitt Romney's candidacy and the long series of missteps by the Romney campaign.
0: So uh, how has the el- composition of the electorate changed since the last few elections, and how do you expect it will change over the next few elections?
1: Well, the, America is a incredibly diverse country. It is, I think it's one of America's great s- strengths. It's a source of a lot of Dynamic energy sometimes it's a source of tension as well, but the electorate increasingly reflects the diversity of America, uh, and uh, that the the change in that regard since two, from 2008 is incremental, but uh, the 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 electorate in 2012 certainly sustained the um, uh, the, the the trend lines of 2008. According to the exit polls, which are not foolproof, by the way, um, but the best measurement we have, 72% of the electorate uh, this time uh, was non-Hispanic whites, and uh, so that that you know the, th- that means that we had an electorate that was 28% something else. That something else the number is growing uh, with each election. It was 74% white in. Uh, 2008, um, it was you know, closer to uh, 80% white, not quite 80% white in 2004. Part of the reason that that the Republicans were so convinced um, r- really on up to when the votes were counted that they were going to win the election is that they, for s- some reason that I can't figure out, believed as an article of faith that the electorate would look in 2012 like it did in 2004, but why would you think that? Uh, that you know that in a, in a country of growing diver- growing diversity, why would you think that the electorate would be less diverse than it had been in in 2008, and um, and you know beyond the ethnic and racial diversity of the electorate, you know that that young people. Who are aging into the electorate and, and then, you know, bec- you know, becoming the next generation of voters have different kinds of attitudes. They grew up in different kinds of circumstances. They, you know, they're not necessarily uh, liberal about the role of government, but they are liberal on matters of social policy and social tolerance. And um, and the Republicans were not only out of kilter with the. Uh, demographic changes in the electorate, but very much out of sync with the attitudinal changes in the f- fastest growing parts of the electorate, um, whether it 's young people or college educated women uh, we don't talk enough about about the importance of the women 's vote and the fact that college educated women in, are not only a fast growing part of the uh, of the electorate but but are becoming a, you know much more reliable. Part of the democratic electorate, uh, a, a lot of that has to do again not because they are liberal on matters of economics or the, or the role of government, but they they have a more progressive view about social policy they they certainly have a more progressive view about the, the the role that women ought to be playing in our society and they they just don't see themselves very much in in the Republicans picture in that regard
0: so you said that. Exit polls aren't foolproof. What do you mean when you say that?
1: Well, they are the best tool we have for understanding the composition of the electorate and um, who who showed up on that day and and um, why they did what they did. But they are at the end of the day, they're they are polls. So it's not as if they uh, and that you know they the. the they were generally pretty good so that if you were, happened to know what the exit polls were showing at five o'clock on Tuesday afternoon, you had a pretty good idea of how the re- election was going to turn out. That's not always the case in 2004 if you read the exit polls at five o'clock in the afternoon you would you would have been absolutely sure that John Kerry was going to be the president, next president of the United States. The, you know, based on that experience the Republicans saw the five o'clock exit polls and said uh, they're wrong and, um, and Romney's going to be elected, but, uh, but the point is they are polls. So to say, you know, we've gone from 74 percent white down to 72 percent white, you don't know for absolutely sure that, that that's the precise number, but it's the best number that we've got
0: usually when we talk about exit polls we talk about you know republicans and democrats in past election cycles third party candidates have at least been able to break through the noise of the mainstream parties at least a little bit but we really didn't see that this year Um, why do you think that was the case and do you think uh, that third parties will ever be a force to reckon with in american politics
1: well in some ways you would think that there should be in the in that so much disdain for the two parties that we've got that it seems like there would be an audience out there for a third party. Uh, but it turns out to be a much more complicated question. There was a a, a movement to have a, to get kind of an independent candidate on, on the ballot and the, the idea was that there'd be internet voting and they'd kind of get this this middle ground alternative. But the truth is that, you know, the two parties we have stand generally for some set of ideas and you know the idea that you'd have a kind of an independent that you know while in- having an independent out there seems interesting in principle what once you get down to cases of what is that person really for and what what are their policies going to be they're probably no more likely to be interesting to people than kind of where the, where the two political parties are when they've been successful it's really been on the force of personality as opposed to the force of somebody's ideas Ross Perot being you know uh, not just being a very colorful personality but a lot of money behind it but you know I think the the Republican Party definitely needs to change they need to sort of get their head into the future uh, much more but I Feel reasonably comfortable in saying that we are going to be fundamentally a two-party country for uh, for a long time to come.
0: You've directed the polling and created campaign strategies for a lot of senators and and Hillary Clinton's presidential uh, campaign. I actually
1: only worked for the last uh, nine weeks of the Hillary Clinton campaign.
0: Well, still, still quite a, a while.
1: <laughs> uh, I was fu- it was an honor to do that. I, she's I think the world of her.
0: When. You're running a polling, polling for a campaign. What the, is that different from the polls that you see on media outlets or, or CNN? Is it different what you guys look at? It for, is. Or think I about? mean, we're,
1: our goals as campaign pollsters are A, to make sure our candidates and the campaigns are operating on accurate information about the, uh, the, the, the battlefield on which they're operating. So that you you're making decisions based on an accurate sense of where you are and which which voters matter and um and you know it re- you really need an honest sense of whether you're ahead or behind and by how much because you need to know do i do i do I need to take a lot of risks do I play it safe and uh, uh but uh, but beyond that, our main function is really to help make sure that campaigns and candidates use their limited resources very very efficiently and those resources include money where do you spend it who do you spend it on Um, but it it, more importantly it's the attention of the voter which is which is not infinite you have a certain claim there's only so much you can communicate so our primary job is to make sure that the things that that our campaigns are talking about that the candidates are talking about are relevant to the voters that that candidates are putting um, their best feet forward in terms of how they're presenting themselves not that you know they you know that the candidate we I don't I've been doing this for a very long time you can't tell a candidate to be something that he or she is not but you know there are many things you can accurately say about a, a given person and so you want to focus on the things that matter the most that will the most connect to the priorities and aspirations of, of of the voters who are who are still making up their minds, um, and you also want to you know because television advertising more than occasionally is negative that is you're talking about the other guys what 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 are the most important things you can honestly and accurately say about the other candidate that will um uh, that will be helpful in getting you getting voters to think about the opponent in the way you'd like them to so we, we ours are really you know the public polls are not in some respects knowledge for its own sake our polls are almost entirely knowledge for the sake of informing action and um, so it 's all about strategic decision making and and giving the campaigns the information they need to make the best possible decisions.
0: One last question. As the presidential campaign ends, uh, I have to ask you about the man everyone's talking about, Nate Silver. Um, You've been in the business of polling and trying to understand where things are going for a really long time, and I want to understand your view of how things have changed over the course of your career in terms of Technology, the role of models, or anything else?
1: Well, it's a very different business than I came to work for Peter Hart in 1978. Uh, when I started at my firm, about half the interviews we conducted were done door-to-door, face-to-face. Um, it only took about six years from that that we went from 50% to 0% for a variety of reasons. And then for many years after that, our business was, we do a lot of what's called focus group research, which is very important to to the (coughs) insights we uh, convey to our campaigns. But for the quantitative research was done almost entirely by landline telephones, using random digit dialing to reach people. Now um, uh, we still make a lot of use of a random digit dialing but virtually all the interviewing that we do on landlines is the sampling is from very detailed and enhanced voter files so that when we do a survey we know a lot about the person we're interviewing before we interview them and more importantly we know exactly what what the electorate ought to look like so that our samples um, to make sure that our samples are reflective of the information that's on the voter file so if, um, and the information includes things like the, the likelihood of being a Democrat or Republican or, or likelihood of being liberal or conservative. So if you, have a, if you have a sample that looks very different from what your voter file looks like, you know you've probably done something wrong and you have to find a way to correct that. But now you're also, in addition to interviewing by landlines, it's imp- you know, have to uh, reach people on, on cell phones as well. Um, which presents a different set of challenges in some states, um, Western states, the voter files already have cell phones in them, so we were interviewing in Nevada and the about twenty six percent of the people we reached on the voter file we reached on their cell phones. There are other states like Virginia where we were polling for both the Senate and the priorities USA, where there is zero percent cell phones on the voter file and there we had to sample cell phones separately which is a little nerve-wracking because then you have to decide how do you merge the two samples together and what's the right proportion that there's guesswork involved in that pollsters don't like to be doing a lot of guesswork that's not the business we're really in but um, you have to do the best you can to end up with informed guesswork but again it's all about not getting the results you, you wish you would get, but the results that you think are the most accurate ones.
0: Well, thank you so much. Thank for, you. Uh, this was really a pleasure.
1: A pleasure for me. Thanks yes. so much.
0: Thank you for listening to Chicago Policy Radio, a production of the Chicago Policy Review and the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago. Our podcast is produced and edited by Claire O'Hanlon and David Levine. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ryan Gee. Special thanks this week to Dominic Washington and Mike Reddy. You can find us at www.chicagopolicyreview.org and on iTunes, or email us at media at chicagopolicyreview.org. Thanks for listening, and join us next time.